Introducing Coco Golf's signature shoe, more than just a tennis shoe. It's a fusion of 90s inspired style and cutting edge performance technology with its sleek mid cut silhouette. It's designed to enhance speed and power on the court. The multi piece upper construction delivers high energy return for players of all levels. Whether you're a seasoned pro or just starting out, the Coco CG1 empowers you to dominate the game. Learn more and purchase the Coco CG1 at NewBalance.com. Welcome to, hey, Great Shot. This is the Great Shot Podcast, a Cracked Rackets and Tennis Channel Podcast Network production. My name is Alex Gruskin. We know it is our job here at Cracked Rackets to help prepare all of you listeners for the year's third and final Grand Slam event, the French Open, which is getting ready to get underway early next week. We also all know that we have seen some funky results here in this ending to the 2020 season, and of course, all of us just grateful to have tennis back in our lives, but the transition from hardcore courts to clay. Never easy in this particular circumstance that so many players seem to have gone directly from New York to competing on the clay courts. It's led to some funky results in these two weeks of transition period. Now, of course, we have talked about all of the results we have seen in Rome, in Hamburg, in Strasbourg, across the Challenger and ITF levels day in, day out on our mini break podcast. But here on the Great Shot Podcast, we want to help prepare all of you listeners for what we are going to see on Unfold in Paris. Now, yesterday on this show, I had Steve Weissman of Tennis Channel Live joining me to talk about the biggest storylines heading into this event. Of course, multiple players, so unfortunately, either testing positive or having people on their teams in their close vicinity, you know, people such as coaches testing positive for COVID 19. Subsequently, those players have been removed from the drawn. We talked about how that might impact the event moving forward on yesterday's show. Today, I want to start talking about the tennis, and I wanted to change things up a little bit now. We are so fortunate to get to be able to pick the brains of so many cool people throughout the tennis world here on our Cracked Rackets podcast, whether it be players, members of the media, you know, uh, parents, whatever it may be, uh, we talk to them all, but we also get that exceptional privilege to talk to so many great coaches. And joining me today on the show to talk about the top men's contenders heading into this French Open, you, of course, know him as the the head coach of the 2020 Division One ITA National Indoor Championship team, Brett Macy, joining me today to talk about uh, those players. Now, just so you listeners know, obviously there's so much going on in the college tennis world, so Coach also chats about the latest developments there, some of the Trojans on tour like Yannick Honefman, the Kooky Monster, Daniel Kukerman, and others. Uh, we talk about that, uh, but we're going to save that portion of the podcast for a cracked interviews uh, that you all can listen to next week. On this portion of the show, we talk about our top men's contenders. We try to break things down. Who are the men we think have a legitimate shot at emerging with the title? And obviously, Rafael Nadal, two losses in his career at the French Open. He stands out. That's obvious. Novak Djokovic, another obvious name. Uh, But are, are there any other players that we think can maybe join that threshold, can maybe break through? Another clear one, Dominic Thiem. We talk about him. Are there 
any other names you all can find out if you listen to the show. Now, of course, the reason we are able to do these podcasts here on the Great Shot Podcast and something we're really looking forward to moving forward into this French Open, of course, uh, continuing our relationship with our friends at DraftKings. And we hit a couple of futures bets on our GSP Ace of the Day with taking Djokovic and Halep to win in Rome. Of course, we will have futures bets, our day-to-day picks, over-unders, spreads, money line, that and more each and every day throughout this French Open on our GSP Ace of the Day. Now, you can listen to those every morning now as well. In podcast form, you can get ready to those for those to go back on video once the French Open begins, and you can get in on the action with our friends at DraftKings. Take advantage of the fact that you are the best informed, the most educated fans in the business by going to and taking advantage, again, of our friends at DraftKings limited time offer for you Cracked Rackets fans. Here's how it works. You're going to go to DraftKings.com, create your DraftKings Sportsbook account, and make a deposit. From there, DraftKings will match your first deposit at 20% up to $500. Obviously, you'll want to make your first bet. And know that DraftKings will also match that first bet with a risk-free first bet up to $500. Just go to dkng.co slash cracked open to play. That's dkng.co slash cracked open. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem, crisis counseling and referral services can be accessed by calling 1-800-GAMBLER in Illinois, New Jersey, West Virginia, or Pennsylvania, 1-800-9-WITHIN in Indiana, 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa, or 1-800-522-4700 in Colorado. You must be 21 years or older and in a participating state to take advantage of this offer. Deposit bonus comes in DK dollars, which have no cash value and must be used on DraftKings. Eligibility restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com sportsbook for more details. And of course, again, be sure to follow along with us each and every day as we make our picks here on the Great Shot Podcast uh, and of course on our YouTube channel, which you all can subscribe to by searching Cracked Rackets on YouTube. But the reason you came here today to hear our thoughts on the top contenders heading into the French Open here is that conversation with the one and only Brett Macy. Introducing Coco Golf's signature shoe, more than just a tennis shoe. It's a fusion of 90s-inspired style and cutting-edge performance technology with its sleek mid-cut silhouette. It's designed to enhance speed and power on the court. The multi-piece upper construction delivers high-energy return for players of all levels. Whether you're a seasoned pro or just starting out, the Coco CG1 empowers you to dominate the game. Learn more and purchase the Coco CG1 at NewBalance.com. With that in mind, the reason I asked you to come on the podcast today, not only to discuss those things, but I want to hear your thoughts on the pro tennis we've seen unfold, because obviously we are all fresh off of the U.S. Open, but it's a quick transition into the clay. And so to get this conversation started, uh, we're going to be focusing today on the top contenders for the uh, men's singles title. couple of fun trivia questions for you, Coach. We'll see how you do. Since 2005, there have been four different men win the French Open title. Can you name all four? Since 2005? Yep, since 2005. Um, all right. Well, Nadal's the easy one. Correct. Djokovic is the other. Mm-hmm. Sorry, there's been five of them? There's been four. Oh, there's been four. Okay, well, Federer won what? When did Federer win? 
Is Federer one 2009. of them? 2009. 2009, so that's three. Yeah, he's the, he's the oh, third. Then the question is, can you get the Wawrinka is the fourth. Well done, coach. One for one thus far. Now, I'm going to give you the trickier version of that question. I warned you this was coming. Since 2000, you have those four players, Nadal, Djokovic, Federer, Wawrinka, plus four others. So eight total guys have won the French Open title since 2000. Can you name those? Guga is too old, right? He went on one in 2000. Nope. Guga is he one is. of them. Absolutely. 2000, 2001. Okay. Wow. All right. Um... Agassi? No, no, he's too old. Agassi was, I believe, 99. 99, yeah. Yeah. Um, Think, I'm trying to think of how I can, uh, two Spaniards, three Spaniards, no, two Spaniards and an Argentinian. One Argentinian. I think that's the tough one. He won 8-6 in the fifth, Gaston Gaudio, 2004. That's a tough one. The other, I feel like, again, I don't want to give you these other names because I feel like you can give them. I will say one of them's Albert. Okay. Just give me a second. I won't give me a anything. second. All right. Um, We're live here. Uh, one of one of the players made the final in 2002 and then won it in 2003. Oh, my God. You're killing me here. You don't drive a Ferrari. You drive a Ferrari. Uh, <laughs> Juan Carlos Ferrer and then Albert Costa, Costa the other one. Yeah. So, again, the, uh, it's been only eight guys since 2000, and you look at the guys who have, you know, made the finals even since 2005. Again, Nadal, Djokovic, Wawrinka, Federer, uh, they've all made it. Team's done it. Murray's done it. Ferrer, Soderling, and then Mariano Puerta back in 2005, and you start to look at that list. I mean, the guys who have had success here before who you might want to favor, it really, in my opinion, Coach, comes down to three guys heading into this event. No, uh, Rafa Nadal, obviously, he's the favorite. Favorite at Roland Garros. He's lost there twice in his career. I need to see him lose probably three years in a row before I name anyone else the favorite heading into the event. But if there's a guy I think who is probably, if Rafa's 1A, he's 1B. It's the guy I think has the most motivation coming into this event, a guy I would be afraid of maybe more than any opponent, and it's Novak Djokovic. I just see this world where Djokovic comes off that obvious embarrassment at the U.S. Open, one of a blemish on his career, and, you know, it's been a tricky 2020 for him anyways, but he wins in Rome. I, I I like Djokovic in this one. I don't know. How are you feeling? Yeah, how did, yeah, did you see the meme of him playing against um, um, gosh, why am I blanking on his name? Um, Kofer and the guy. The, yeah, the, no. the umpire called him Federer. Like yeah. the doll. I mean, Federer, or Djokovic literally looks like he wants to kill somebody out on the court right now. I mean, the guy is so possessed and just he's. I, I, I don't disagree with you one bit. That was the one thing when I was, you asked me to do some, you know, get my trivia or get my myself ready for this. And looking through any type of the last five or 10 years, there's only really two or three people that are even competing in this. Like it's always the same. And you can't, that's why it's, I think it's different than like at the US Open or Australian Open where there's a few more variables. And on clay, there isn't that, that like like you said. There's just been a lot more consistency of who's been competing in these event, and you know, in this event. And I don't think Warinka's there right now by any means, just because you know he's he's not fresh enough um, playing wise. And team, you could say, you know, getting to the finals last two years, and then just his overall. I mean, he's going to come in very confident. You would think just after winning the Open. 
um, and, you know, Novak, like, and, and Nadal, like those three, I think are definitely the three that are going to be the clear cut favorites. And, you know, until someone upsets one of them, I, I can't see, I, I, I just don't see it. You know, I, I don't see any of the Russians, you know, coming in and, and making a, and making a play, you know, Medvedev isn't that great on clay, just the way he hits the ball. It's too flat. You know, I, I those are those are the three. I think you hit them head on. Mm-hmm. And I would probably put Djokovic and Nadal in a separate category right now than a Dominic team, right? Because, I mean, you, let's start with, because we all know what Rafa does well, so we can do that second, but let's start with Novak Djokovic. I don't know how closely you watched him in Rome, but yeah, he got challenged a little bit. That three-set result versus Dom Kofer, by the way, Dom Kofer, another testament to college tennis working, Unreal. the number one player in the country at Tulane. Yeah, the best is he, in the, and I think Ty Kwiatkowski was giving him grief in the interview he did he was like I wasn't good in college it's like uh you were pretty good like yeah. you were pretty good in college I don't know what you're, you're number one in there, the country but... what are you talking about yeah exactly I went to a match this is a real deep cut but um he was playing uh at Dovidas I don't remember how to say his last name but he played number one for Dartmouth he was like number 50 in the country and he was playing Kopfer and it was NCAA first rounds and one of my buddies from high school played for Dartmouth so I was there and it was just in an, you know one of those random round of 64 first round matches at UNC and like I was like is anyone watching this I was like this is the best tennis I've ever freaking seen I think Dovey was like 500 in the world and Kopfer obviously number one in the country at the time and yeah the, my point being there are a lot of really good players in college tennis anyways he was the only guy to take a set off of Djokovic last week and it wasn't like Djokovic got tested he was down a break early to Casper Ruud down a break early to Diego Schwartzman him and Krajinovic battling in that first set I actually think Krajinovic served for that set as well but to your point I feel like there is a palpable energy just Djokovic is is radiating when he's on the court where it's just like hey don't mess with me right now like I know Rafa is incredible but Novak's undefeated in 2020 in matches where he hasn't gotten himself defaulted and I feel like that's relevant no I that's look yeah he's until that someone beats him this year he's the he's the favorite the guy has not lost at all um I mean we had a huge debate over that whole thing on our team, but um, no, the guy, the guy's definitely going to be highly motivated this next week. And I, some of these young guys can, you know, like a Shapovalov or a, a Rude, like those guys are good. And I think they can, you know, maybe make an upset, but I don't think they're going to make an upset over the top, you know, the top three guys, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. In terms of the way Djokovic attacks a clay court, because it's so different, right, than what he does on a hard court. Physically on a hard court, just try to get a ball by him, and you can't. You just uh-huh. absolutely cannot. But, you know, in terms of the, where his game translates to clay court tennis, is it his ability to change direction? I don't know. what it, Because when he wins matches, it's not as clean as it is for him on a hard court. It just makes sense the way he dominates on a hard court. And yet, it just seems like he's such a tricky opponent on clay. It's, I think the effect of just him having so much time on clay, the way he hits his forehand, I mean, he changes forehand line, like you mentioned, like probably better than anyone who has ever done it, you know, just in terms of the consistency and the, and the placement that he can do it at. Um, but, you know, 
his serve doesn't get necessarily as exposed on clay as much because he can, you know, it's, it's slower. You know, if anybody were to say what was one of Novak's negatives, it would be a serve, right? Like he probably doesn't have one of the better serves, but in his return, he doesn't, you know, you're having to fight for your service game all the time when he's returning, whether you're on hard grass, whatever, you know? And so on clay, it's even more of a weapon. And, you know, it's like, good luck. You're just battling and sweating out that service game almost every time. Yeah, and I also love the way he mixes in the drop shot yeah. as well, right? Just as a change of pace. It's it's probably his most underrated skill, although now it gets talked about a little bit more to the point where maybe it's no longer underrated. But just the way he uses that to open up the court, his elasticity. And I think in terms of the matchup against Rafael Nadal, look, he's the, been the only guy. You go back to 2011, 12, 13. He was the only guy who could beat Rafa at a Masters 1000s or at the 500s in Barcelona. Barcelona and I just think they don't play that frequently at Roland Garros I think they've only played twice but whenever they do it's always a battle and I just think Djokovic is a good matchup against Rafa he has the one thing you absolutely have to have when you're playing Rafael Nadal and that's a backhand that can change directions better than any player in tennis history mm-hmm. no I, I, I agree with all those things for sure I mean he's I would love to see, I think everybody would love to see that final right now, mm-hmm. just given everything that's happened this year. I think it would be pretty exciting to see Rafa and Novak play two weeks from this Sunday or whatever. Mm-hmm. Yeah. In terms of the Rafa portion, because we all know what a Rafa success on clay looks like, are you concerned at all? I mean, you know, he lost that match to Schwartzman. I think it was only the fourth time in the past five years that he's lost a set 6-2 or worse on clay, which, again, that's freaking ridiculous. Can you imagine going even a year without losing four 6-2 sets where there's just like four random sets where you're like, you know what, I just don't have it in this set, and that's cool. Um, for Rafa, that happened four times in four five years that's just it's ridiculous and so you know I, I sort of alluded to this earlier but are you concerned at all with his lack of match play heading into this or do you think over the course of the two weeks it'll it'll be just fine yeah I think that's the only thing that probably is the concern right maybe his conditioning of mm-hmm. playing um I mean that's one thing we talk about even amongst our team right now like guys we got to get matches whether they're UTRs whether they're the you know ITA fall circuit you guys, if you can play 20 matches here this fall, just playing, you're going to feel so much more comfortable on the court come January. So, you know, when Rafa steps foot on that clay at Roland Garros, I think he's going to be okay. You know, the guys won there how many times? Nine? Twelve? Yeah, it's something. Yeah, it's, Twelve? Uh, a lot. Twelve, yeah. yeah I think I think he's got a bar mitzvah child verse, uh, in French Open titles. Yeah, so, I mean, he's he'll be fine. He'll He'll figure it out. Um, yeah, so. I, no, I agree. Yeah, I mean, he's been so outstanding. And yeah, it's just like, why doubt him? It's the same way, you know, for the past. It, it, again, it's maybe Rafael Nadal at Roland Garros is arguably the greatest athlete in any individual venue ever. You know, you want to say Michael Jordan 6-0 in NBA Finals. That's cool. Rafael Nadal has done it for now 15 years at the French Open. And it's just win after win after win after win. And so, yeah, it was. it's crazy that even four people have won titles at the French Open since 2005. That feels a little bit high. But, you know, those are the big two. I would say there is a gap between them and 
winning team. And, you know, you sort of mentioned it, Dominic team for a finalist uh, the past two years at the French Open. He beat Djokovic last year in that four-day marathon match. Uh, he's obviously coming in as confident as any player given the fact that he won his first Grand Slam title in New York. Um, I guess twofold here. A, what do you think that win in New York, you know, what did you think about that win in New York, actually? You know, Dominic team getting over the finish line, and how do you think that will help him? Does that help him heading into this event? It goes one or two ways. He's not going to go in there and play and get three rounds and then lose, I think. He's either going to go in and do really well and, and, you know, make a run at it, or he could have the hangover. And he's just, he's done after the first or second round, right? I mean, it can go one of two ways, in my opinion, with that. Um, you know, he's, he, he, and you don't fault him if he goes and wins his first, you know, U.S. Open and then whatever it was, it's been three weeks and he's got to go play another major and he doesn't perform, like, I'll give him a pass. Um, but, uh He's that that tournament for him. I think it was his to win. I think he'd been set up to you know it's it's time. What was that? His fourth final, fifth mm-hmm. final, something like that. And fourth, yeah, yeah. And you know you felt it for both of those guys. We were trying. I was trying to actually look this up, and maybe you know. I know that was 16 years since one of the power the top three had not been in in a final. But mm-hmm. when was the last time that two guys were battling for their first final or for the first I major? I think – so I want to say because Chilich played Nishikori in that 2014 final, right? And I think that was both guys going for their first major. So I believe that is the answer to that question. But, yeah, it felt weird. And, you know, there was a lot of talk, was the quality of the final good? No, there were times when obviously both guys had nerves overwhelming them. But it had been so long since we got to see that in a men's Grand Slam final. Yeah. And, obviously, I, Alex Virov's my guy right now. I just think there's 10 minutes in every Alex Virov match where you watch him and you're like, I have never seen anyone been able to do that on a tennis court before. Um, but I liked that experience. I don't know. What did you think about that men's open final? No, I, um, I, I completely agree. Like my son and I were sitting in the, you know, in our living room watching it and we were like yelling, like, Oh my gosh, this feels like, you know, me watching you play or someone even said, it's like, this is watching line six and no one's watching. (laughs) (laughs) And like, it's coming down to them and everybody's choking their, you know, what off and, it's it's hilarious. I mean that that second serve that Zverev hit at five six. I mean it could have it could not have if, if a, the gust of wind blew it over the net. I wouldn't have surprised me because I mean that thing <laughs> barely clipped. I mean it, it could barely have gone over. It was going like sixty five miles an hour, and team still couldn't crack it. I mean he couldn't have ran around and just cracked a forehand. He was well, he was also cramping probably, but I mean. Look, we've all been there. We've all can experience it, and I don't fault them one second. I mean, we could sit here and play quarterback all day long, right, and say, oh, you could have done this, they should have done that, whatever. But it's like, man, to have that experience, and you know that that's going to be your first – like, it's a golden opportunity not to be playing against Rafa or Federer or Djokovic. And they knew that they both – like, if they didn't get this one – that's what compounded it, I think, right? The nerves. It's like, when are we going to get another opportunity like this where it's just us and not one of these other three? 
Yeah, no, I completely agree with you, and you nailed it. It felt like a college tennis match. That's exactly the atmosphere I was, it, just the nerves of it all. I've seen that match unfold so many times, and, you know, Zverev gets two points away from the finish line on multiple occasions, but never able to get to match point, and the nerves just overwhelming all of them, and, you know, what that means from a breakthrough for Dominic team to get over the hump. I think I, com- I you nailed it. It goes one of two ways. Maybe he gets a tough first-round opponent or a tough second-round opponent he loses early just the fitness isn't there he's not able to get the training in that he wants and you know the level's not there but if you know anything about Dominic team you know that this is a guy who will show up in any country in any city at any time and just happily play a tennis match that's what he wants to be doing playing tennis training for tennis at all times and so I agree with you I think he absolutely I mean where Dominic team lands in the draw whether he's on the top half with Djokovic or on the bottom half with Nadal that is the most important question in the draw reveal. Doesn't matter where any of the other 125 players in the draw go. Uh, it just matters which side uh, Dominic team is on because he is the third guy probably who has a legitimate shot at winning this title. And, you know, we, we've seen it before, but it just bears repeating. It's almost a writing a doll on clay in the sense that just the heaviness of his ball he's so relentless he moves so well around the court I always say the difference between a good mover and a great mover on clay a great mover slides into the shot a good mover slides out of the shot Dominic team does all of that and just the way he changes directions again how heavy he hits the recipe is there I mean again those guys are Djokovic Nadal 1A 1B but he's the only guy I have in my second tier of terms of if he won it I wouldn't be shocked yeah no he's he's definitely there that's another guy I was just so impressed with how hard he hit the ball like I watched his match oh demon demon hour and it, it, I felt bad for the poor kid he just like it was <laughs> you know just it was a total different level in terms of you know ball striking I mean I hear McEnroe saying oh this is why demon hour is going to be top 10 in the world one day I'm like this guy has no chance if that's the if this is the way that, you know, a top 10 player hits the ball compared to a non-top 10 player, I mean, Demon Hour is great and athlete and moves around well and no offense to him at all, but like the difference was night and day. Mm-hmm. No, I completely agree with you. Alex, uh, Alex Demon Hour is going to be making quarterfinals on hard courts for the rest of his career. Like without question, the upside or the, the, floor of his game is tremendously high but yeah you watch him play against a team or a Zverev or just some of these guys who can just crack the ball and you're like yeah I just physically can he do that who knows even like a Karen Hatchinov who when he's turning cleanly into that forehand you're just like oh yeah that is absolutely a weapon Um, I agree with you there I also just agree Dominic team is in that elite category in terms of what he can do with a tennis ball and you know those are the big three I do have some other names I want to throw at you Another obvious one, a guy who made that final at the U.S. Open, Alex Zverev, who you look in his career, uh, he had made quarterfinals at the French Open these past two years now. Obviously, his last two majors, semifinals in Australia, finals at the U.S. Open, some of the other things he's done on clay. He won, you know, a Masters event. He might have even won two Masters events on the surface. I know he won in Rome, uh, or was it Rome? Uh, Who remembers at this point where that title came? But he's obviously had success on the clay 
before and you look at his game again everything you've said about those other guys you can say about him uh, uh he was winner in madrid and then a winner in rome uh in terms of his two masters titles on clay he's beaten djokovic on clay uh he's beaten dominic team on clay he obviously is feeling confident uh well i don't know how are how would alex Zverev be feeling where do you think yeah. alex Zverev enters this french open what are your thoughts on his game yeah, he could be he could be pretty much just like team. He could either come out and be super motivated and wanting to prove the world that he's not a you know a choke artist. No, again, no offense. Or he could just go out there and I mean, you could feel the same for Stefano Tsitsipas, right? I mean, that guy had a match won there, and he's you know is he going to recover from that and be able to go and compete at a high level and not think about what happened before? Um, I mean, obviously all of these guys have these huge games. So if they catch fire, it's, it's a different level, you know, and they can just blow through some guys, whether it's clay or hardcore, it doesn't matter. Um, you know, someone like a Batista, Goot, you know, I, I just don't see like after the, like you look at these top five or six players, I look at the, you know, a Berrettini, a Monfils, a Goffin, a Rublev, Fognini, Shapovalov, like they can make it, uh, Schwartzman, they could do some damage in a draw, but they're not going to win it. At the end of the day, they're not going to win three sets out of off of Nadal team or uh, Djokovic, in my opinion. I just, I just can't see it. You don't see it from Zverev either. Maybe Zverev, yeah, Zverev could be again. He, you could add him as the fourth. And then there's going to be somebody in there. You know, there's a there's a dark horse in there at some regard, right? You don't know yeah, who no, you... who it is, but mm-hmm. it could. You know, is it a? I don't think it's an American, unfortunately. Um, <laughs> you know, but is it a, is it a Nishikori who could make one? Is it a? You know, is someone just going to have it? You know, somewhere where a luck of the draw opens up and you can, you know, they can make their way through. I don't know. Mm-hmm. No, I, I think you mentioned a lot of the names there. I'll throw a couple of that, then we can go through rapid fire here. I think, you know, again, in terms of me, this is just a stupid list. I have tier one guys, you know, Nadal Djokovic on a tier by themselves. Then I'd have Dominic team tier two by himself. Zverev tier three, just because for him to not have the pressure of being the front runner, for him to feel like a challenger again against a Nadal, a Djokovic, or a team, I think that helps him mentally. And I agree with you. I think it's boomer bust for him. I think we're either going to see him come out and be like, oh, yeah, I I acknowledge that was not my best performance, but watch what I'm about to do now. For me, the breakthrough there was just holding seed and getting to the final. Had I won that final, that would have been the cherry on top. I'm an Alex Vera believer, so I think that's how he's going to approach it. I think he's the fourth guy. And then I have, yeah. you know, a bunch of guys in Tier 4 who you sort of mentioned. Matteo Berrettini is fascinating to me because you talk about guys who crack the ball as hard as anyone. Uh, Matteo yeah. Berrettini is that player. His serve and volley game, his plus one forehand, it translates across surfaces. He's a comfortable mover on the clay. He's the sort of guy I could see get hot and race off to, you know, a semifinal. And I know he's going to be a top eight seed, so that wouldn't be shocking. But he is another guy I would throw on that list, probably even above a Medvedev or Tsitsipas, simply because of how easy he makes things for himself. Yeah, I, I again, I, I don't disagree. And it's just the way he hits the ball compared to, you know, Tsitsipas or you know, or Medvedev, I just, the way those two guys play compared to the way he plays, it's, it's different. Mm -hmm. It's just different, especially on clay. 
Mm-hmm. I agree with you. I also think Denis Shapovalov falls into that Berrettini category just because, again, when he's playing well, it doesn't really matter what the opponents do. Again, you look at some of these names here, Medvedev, Tsitsipas, Schwartzman, Shapovalov, Berrettini, Rude. Uh, they're all impressive players, all people who certainly uh, can make runs into the second week, maybe even make some noise in the second week. But I think it comes down to those top three guys. So my final question for you, Coach Macy, I'm getting you on the record. Give me your prediction for both the men's and the women's singles champions. Um. Okay. Oh, wow. Women? You didn't tell me that you were going to go for women. I'm going um, for both here. Putting you on the spot. All right. I will I will go with – I'm going to go with Djokovic, even though oh. I'm going against my better judgment. of. of <laughs> I'd rather probably see Nadal, but I'm going with him. Um, on the women, I – God, I would love to it's, see Serena just get through it. But Halep's playing, okay, Kennan. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm going with one of those two. I don't know. I like Simona. Why. Yeah, I, I think it, I think it's if I could if I could pick somebody, it's either going to be Halep or it's going to be Kennan. I love those two picks. Well, Coach, I I always appreciate you taking the time to come chat with us. Obviously, wishing you uh, both safety and health, you, your entire team. Again, if you need an extra eye or you're just like, I want to take today off. I don't want to watch tennis. Alex, make the notes for me. What did Cookerman do well today? Uh, You know where to find me, Coach. So, obviously, thank you for coming on the show. And uh, hopefully, we'll get the chance to talk to you again soon or see you. You know, I was on my way to my first in-person USC-UCLA match when everything got shut down was a devastating development for me. So I will get out there if we have a 2021 season. Well, you, we'll, we'll make sure of it and we'll put you up and we'll take you to the finer sites so you can, you can enjoy it, okay? That is all I ever ask for, Coach. Thank you as always. Take care. Okay, you take care. See you, Alex. See you. Hope all of you enjoyed my conversation with USC men's tennis head coach Brett Macy. And of course, there's so much going on in the college tennis world. We want to hear his thoughts on that. So I had to ask him a few questions. All of those thoughts going to be heard on the Cracked Interviews podcast next week. So be on the lookout for that. And of course, a huge thank you to Coach, one of my favorites to chat to. He's been so kind. I I bug him more than I probably should. And he's always very good about responding. And so a shout out to Coach. Macy. Hopefully he and his Trojans staying safe, staying healthy. And of course, we all look forward to seeing what they're going to come out with such a stacked roster. Uh, Hopefully we get a 2021 season to see them show their stuff. Now, of course, all of us right now currently locked into the pro tennis action. The French Open getting underway next week. We will continue to preview that event here at Cracked Rackets over the next couple of days, whether it be our Great Shot podcast, Mini Break podcast, Cracked Interviews, Inside Out podcast, our YouTube channel or on our website crackrackets.com you can find it all of course shout out as always to our super producers max fliegner and daniel westoff for the of an editing job they do day in day out a lot of content coming your way we want to make picks for you we want you to be able to take advantage of all the action with our friends over at DraftKings. remember just go to dkng.co slash cracked open to take advantage of their limited time offer and be sure 
to follow along with us each and every morning as we make our picks on the GSP Ace of the Day. Right now, we're focused on the action in Hamburg, in Strasbourg. I will say this, 9 out of 12 underdogs I selected hit uh, during French Open men's qualies uh, during Wednesday's action. So, you know, that was obviously a nice little benefit for our listeners. That's what I'm trying to do. I don't, it's not for me. I don't, I'm not winning and I'm like, oh, I won. I'm winning and I get happy about it. I'm winning. I'm not really winning. When I win on those ever so rare occasions, I get happy about it because hopefully you listeners are taking advantage of it. And again, you can with our friends at DraftKings. Go to dkng.co slash cracked open. But with that in mind for our wonderful guests, Coach Brett Macy, our super producers, Max Fligner and Daniel Westoff, our friends uh, at DraftKings, and all of us here at both Cracked Rackets and the Tennis Channel Podcast Network. I'm your host, Alex Gruskin. You know what we say. Hey, great shot, and we'll see you all tomorrow. Thanks, everyone.